Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When you love meat, you find a way to take it with you everywhere you go, especially when it comes to getting outdoors. That's why Smithfield has so many high-quality, delicious meats that are perfect for any outdoor adventure. Whether the park you're headed to is a national park or just the one down the street, like Smithfield marinated roasted garlic and cracked black pepper fresh pork tenderloin, expertly seasoned for on-the-go flavor, or prime fresh smoked ham that'll have you building on-the-go sandwiches packed with flavor. Smithfield Extra Meaty Back Ribs bring hand-selected perfection to the backyard, and Smithfield Anytime Favorites will help you take the ham you savor to the places you love. From diced ham that'll turn any picnic into an outdoor feast, to hickory smoked boneless ham steaks that are the perfect cap to any hike. The great outdoors just got greater with Smithfield. For the love of meat. everybody what's going on welcome to another episode of the nomad strength show i'm ross hillier your host today i am pleasantly joined by dr coach pat ivy uh pat and i met at winter strong and we were actually on the same competition team that the whole saturday afternoon competition kind of uh enveloped us in and so uh, he and i competed together and uh you know did the suffering together and uh he's just a great guy and he was a real leader on the team that day for the competition and uh, I just knew I needed to get to know him a little bit better after that weekend and talk to him more so that's exactly what we did in this conversation um, he's in administration at uh, Louisville Louis University of Louisville in Kentucky and uh, he is such an interesting perspective on strength and performance because he's been in every role that exists and uh, he right now he's in administration and we actually spent a good deal of time talking about all of the NIL and, uh, you know, athlete differences between what's going on now with college athletics, even to just compared to a couple of years ago and how different it is and how much more interesting it is and, and the way that the game is changing uh, for just athletics from a student perspective, from an administration perspective. And it's really interesting. And uh, then we got to talking a little bit about what he's doing with his coaching stuff and his mentorship stuff on the side. And uh, he's just a great dude to follow and learn a lot from. He's extremely smart and has a lot of great perspectives. Um, and so it was really real treat to be able to just talk to him and get to know him a lot better. So I know you guys will enjoy this one. Go follow him. And uh, this is my conversation with Dr. Pat Ivey. All right, we are live with Pat Ivey, Dr. Coach Pat Ivey. I love how you always have both those uh, those titles in it. So uh, thank you for making the time, man. I'm excited to talk to you today. I'm looking forward to it as well. Let's get this thing going. Yeah, man, we uh, we had like a a deep instant 
forcible connection because we were at Winter Strong together and we were on the competition team together. So, you know, like everybody's doing their own little connecting with people there and having conversations. But then you're like, you're on a team with someone competing. That makes you a little have to connect a little bit more. So we had a good time, man. I thought our team crushed and it was a blast to go through that thing with you. Isn't it unbelievable uh, that you can come from different backgrounds, different parts of the country, uh, different ages, different everything, and then find yourself trying to achieve the same goal, and then you have to work together to do it Mm -hmm. and, and do it better than others or do it as well as you can? Yeah, that was awesome. It was a really good time. And, you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, I followed you for a little while prior, um, but I didn't know until, uh, you know, Bert had said something about it. And then you had told a little bit about it when we were there together. But the outdoor world is fairly kind of new to you. And so uh, I was curious, like, how all that kind of came to be. I mean, because you've you you done athletics and training and coaching and administration, all this other kind of stuff. And then like outdoors just kind of seeped in somehow. So like, where did that, where did that come from for you? Yeah, well, I, I've always been kind of an outdoors person, but I was mm-hmm. a city outdoors person. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's a difference between a city outdoors person and uh, maybe more rural outdoors. Uh, but, you know, my dad is from uh, rural Georgia. Mm-hmm. And, and so a lot of my family is, is from that. So those are my roots. Mm-hmm. I just happen to grow up in inner city Detroit, Michigan, not really around that. But I always knew it was a world that was there. And through the relationships I had with my athletes and, and staff, I found myself, you know, in the woods. You know, hey, coach, would you like to go uh, hunting with us? Uh, or friends, people that were on the team. And they were into it. And I thought, you know, I would love to get to know this person a little bit better and what it is that interests them. And little did I know how much I would enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And so now I've kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm really in deep pretty good. So it's, uh, it's becoming a, a hobby that is becoming a little bit expensive. So I'm trying to, trying, <laughs> trying to control it. But, you know, it's just fun to be able to get away and, and just be out in, in nature and mm-hmm. just, uh, you know, people are always looking to kind of find some peace and calm and mm-hmm. maybe just some silence and solace. And that's what I've been able to, to find. For sure. And you mentioned being in like inner city Detroit and stuff growing up. So where are you located currently right now? Oh, yeah. I'm in, I'm in Louisville, Kentucky. Okay, so I work at I the University so, of Louisville. Yeah, that's what I thought. So, uh, I mean, you have probably have a little bit easier access where you currently are to like go get out on and, and have it be much easier than you were when you were back in, in doing the city life before. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and for me, that's been that's been a part of, you know, something I've sought after um, where we chose to buy a house is actually there's a nature preserve out back. So awesome. it's we have a little bit of everything here. And um, yeah, I enjoy it. That's awesome. It's one of those things, too, where, like you said, it's it it starts out, it can start out as just like a hobby. And then it kind of becomes very consuming when you realize like how much there actually is and how, you know, uh, Theodore Roosevelt always used to say like nature is healing. And I'm like, I so buy that, you know what I mean? Like just spending time, even if it's just an afternoon and you can just detach and just go like be in the fresh air and walk around and sweat a little bit. Like it's healing to a degree that most, like a lot of other things aren't. 
Yeah, I agree with that. And if we all just take a pause and take some time, we can feel it. We can mm-hmm. feel the tension. We can feel the stress. Uh, we can feel it in our heads, behind our eyes. You know, we can feel that. And if we don't consciously take some time to just decompress and turn some things off, then we don't get to that state where we can we can find some uh, where we can recharge and, and recover. And and obviously being in nature, if you're sitting in nature and scrolling through your social media, it does you no good yeah. to be there. It's not <laughs> you any you have to actually <laughs> no, yeah, you have to disconnect. And yeah. and uh, I think that's. If we can continue, every all of us can continue to find ways to make sure we are at our best. I think then that that's how we make a positive impact. Absolutely, and it's it was one of those things too where it's like the whole Winter Strong event is really good at kind of forcing you to do that because there's like enough going on where you don't want to miss out anything. So you can't be like doing something else on your phone and like distracting yourself away. So like I spent the whole three days, like my phone was in my tent. Like I didn't even have it on my person, you know, like I was just hopping around and having conversations and it just made the whole experience that much more enriching. And I think that's kind of the point, you know, like the, the whole deep water portion of it is having like deep connections and talking to people and getting to know people. And that's what makes stuff like that you know, like worth it. Like I said, I agree. And it's, it's all about people. It's about those relationships. It's about building new ones. It's about rekindling old ones. And just knowing that we're not in this by ourselves. You know, I think that's where some people have some struggles in life is when they don't know they have support and that there are other people that are there that, and we all have more in common than we have differences. And if we can just learn to explore what those are, I think we can all find some happiness. Absolutely. I want to talk to you about uh, kind of your journey into through the performance side of things too. So, because uh, you've had, you know, from what I understand, pretty much every role that there can be when it comes to performance and athletics and that kind of stuff. So, how did all? I mean, like, where did that interest sort of start for you? Like, what were you? Was it just athletics growing up? Was that kind of what kicked it off for you? Mm, I wouldn't say that. I, I would say athletics helped me to understand life better. Mm. And through athletics, I could, uh, as I discovered more, I discovered more about life and and who I was and and what meaning is to me, meaning of life is to me. And through sport, constantly growing, learning, looking to uh, develop the best version of myself that I could be while that is working in alignment with my passion and purpose, which is helping to develop other people Mm. and so that we can win together. Yeah. It kind of works that way. So being in athletic performance, strength and conditioning, being a coach and being someone that is trying to help someone else discover what it is that their passion and purpose is in life, doing it through something that's common, such as sport, is something that I found rewarding and challenging. And it, it's something that I knew I had to take on different roles and I had to learn about different components that in, that was involved in athletic performance development, nutrition, the mindset, the science, the practical application, the weights, the conditioning, the equipment, the, the, the shoes, uh, 
the technology. There's so many components of what it takes to be great in sport and through athletic performance that that's been a driver for me. What is the, uh, and, and you've worked at several different levels. You're, you're in the collegiate level right now. Like, have you, was, what drew you to college versus like another level of sport? Like, is there something uh, that was just the opportunity presented itself? Because I, I find like talking to a bunch of guys that kind of found their niche in college, it's like there's something about that age group of guys, the kids that want to work with them versus like going up to the, you know, quote unquote, more adults in the pros or like doing younger youth kids. Like, was there something about collegiate that was attractive to you specifically? Well, I thought that I would be in high school coming through college. I thought I would end up in high school, but my opportunities were in college. That's where I developed a lot of relationships. And I did have opportunities to transition to the professional level mm-hmm. um, in many different, in different roles uh, at different organizations. So I've had those opportunities, but I would always weigh those opportunities with what I was doing currently. And what I was doing currently just kept me in collegiate athletics. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I've found that a lot of guys that, and, you know, maybe it's just the guys that I talk to have a similar mindset as me. So who knows if that's even <laughs> like it's representative or not. But the the guys that I know that have coached college, they're they're always like, you know, I and maybe it's sport specific too, uh, if they're working with a specific sport in college versus in high school. But the guys that I know that coach college are like, I just love coaching college kids. And maybe it's like a communication thing, uh, you know, being a little bit closer in age or whatever it is. I don't know. But, um, I always enjoyed the relationships I had with my college coaches, like, cause it just felt like a different kind of relationship. And, and in coaching, like I've talked about this a ton, but it is such a relationship centric profession. It's not like just the, the sets and reps or, you know, all the, like the X's and O's kind of thing. It's so relationship based. So, um, I, I mean, that's personal experience. I always loved just being around my college coaches too. Like, so it's a, that was a little bit of anecdotal, but that's always what I've found, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. And I I think definitely college has been something that's special to me, but I also believe that if I had chosen another level, a different Mm -hmm. level that I would have enjoyed that as well. Yeah, Um, for sure. There's just something to enjoy at every level, I think. Yeah. Uh, But, but obviously college um, higher education has been something special to me. It's something that has resonated well with me. I've had a lot of opportunities at this level, and, and I do advocate for it. Mm-hmm. But I think there is something that transcends just this level, and that is leadership, that is developing people, that is having a passion to to see someone go from point A to point B. And that, to me, that's the definition of a coach. So, so me being in administration, I'm a, I'm allowed to enjoy this mm-hmm. because I'm helping people get from point A to point B, For sure. even though I'm not in the weight room on the floor like I used to be. So I, I that's just how I go about um, viewing things so that, that because I know too many strength and conditioning coaches who um, have those opportunities taken away, whether it's temporarily or, or permanently, yeah. And their identities are tied into actually being in, in at that level in the weight room. The and weight I just room. never yeah. wanted to be controlled by my circumstances. I always wanted to be 
in control of my own mindset and, and my own viewpoint, my own perspectives. Yeah, that makes total sense. The one uh, I'm curious too, being at the collegiate level, it, when regards to performance and some of the things that you may be seeing, I mean, no matter the sport, I guess, I'm just really fascinated lately by kind of how the AAU slash social media generation of athletes has really kind of shifted a whole lot as it relates to how you deal with athletes in performance and, and in like how it was different when I was there versus, you know, that wasn't even that long ago, but, uh, it just seems way different even a decade out of college for me than, than it was then. So are I mean, are you seeing some similar kind of things there? It's different than it was two years ago. It's Crazy. different than it was a year ago. Um, I had a conversation with a former compliance person who's now the CEO of his own technology app-based company that is delivering NIL, name, image, and likeness yeah. services. And what they have, you can no longer just be a... What, what that conversation showed me, and, and, and I've been seeing it, you can no longer just be a sport coach. You can no longer just be a strength and conditioning coach. Yeah. Your athletes have opportunities that did not exist when we were coming through. There are, there, this web-based app is connecting businesses with student athletes in ways through social media, uh, investment opportunities, marketing opportunities that go beyond their current experience as a student athlete. Wow. Like, it's amazing what was happening. And so for me, I don't see it as a problem. I, I, I yeah. see us as being someone that can help guide these young people mm -hmm. and navigate the, 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 the environment and the culture. And if, if no matter what's happening, no matter if it's the Austin case where we can now incentivize or compensate them from an academic standpoint, or if it's the NIL money, or if it's the um, what, whatever those opportunities are that are there for them, we can't resent it and we can't resist it. Yeah, We have to understand it and then work towards acceptance that that is the reality. And, and athletes will not want to connect with us if that's not our mindset. Sure. So I think that it's important that we embrace it and say that it is here. How can we help them? to navigate it. So did that just create like an entire new almost branch of your profession at the administrator level when all that NIL stuff went down last year? Absolutely. We had to yeah. actually uh, transition one of our senior leaders uh, who had who was perfectly positioned uh, because of their background mm -hmm. to be in that position. And so I think that's that's the beauty of it. And, and, and when you have people like that that are dynamic, and they can combine, combine their experiences and backgrounds to be able to adapt and adjust to what's here currently and, and the direction we need to go in the future. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's a beautiful thing. The, the whole conversation around the NIL thing is, is one that's so interesting to me for so many reasons, just because that's been an argument for, I don't even know, my entire life. Like, can, should college players be getting paid, right? You know, and so this isn't necessarily like a, 
loophole by any means because when you think of things like the video games that before weren't allowed to put the guys' names on the back of their jerseys in the NCAA football game or whatever, now they can. And it's like they can get reimbursed for that kind of stuff or it's like a sponsorship for a car dealership or whatever that one like kid wants to do a commercial for. Like that kind of stuff. So, I mean, there's so much from what I see as maybe just not understanding what it actually is and they're just thinking, oh, now this just semi-pro football, which even before the NIL, I mean, on a football perspective, the NCAA kind of was anyways, just because of the scale of what it is. So, I mean, are you having to have like a lot of these conversations where you're actually explaining like, it's not exactly what you think, or you have to explain what it is and kind of have those kind of conversations? I think so. I think hopefully a lot of us are leaders in sport I'm speaking to, mm-hmm. um, coaches, administrators, staff, we are paying attention to what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so the conversation that I had yesterday, this web-based, app, app-based, web-based, whatever it's called, mm-hmm. company that's working with another university, another athletics department, both university and athletics department, I asked the question, I said, how can a student athlete manage all of this? Yeah. And I said, at, at what point are we going to where I have someone that actually helps me with my my business and branding and management? At what point are we going to have to are our athletes going to have to have someone assisting them? And it's interesting yeah. because that because the conversation led to at a specific university. They are approaching the marketing department and the students on in that department that are going to school for strategic marketing, oh, brand wow. management, offering these through education and, and some sort of classes and certifications, the ability to connect their students with their student athletes so that wow. the students are now managing these platforms in terms of NIL for the sure. student athletes. Crazy. So we have to be having these conversations about what's going on because it's fascinating. It's it's not just, well, athletes are going to be somewhere at the car dealership signing autographs. Right. These athletes are going to be making money while they're doing their sport, not yeah. in place of their sport. Right. Like that's where we have to get to in terms of understanding what's going on. And I mean, from what I've heard, and maybe you can speak a little more to this, like it's not small amounts of money either. Like, I mean, depending on what level and depending on what program and who the athlete is, I mean, there's like some serious money potential for some of these like NIL focused things that could be coming down. So, I mean, the idea of a, of another student, like and them kind of growing in it together, it sounds very like LeBron and Maverick Carter, you know, like kind of coming in together and just saying like, nope, he, Maver's, Maverick's going to do all my stuff. And he, now he's like one of the biggest agencies in the entire world. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like a cool teaching how to do all this stuff at a young age kind of thing. So, I mean, there's obviously some potential pitfalls just from being so young in a lot of this stuff. I mean, we, the, I don't remember if you remember the 30 for 30 broke that they did where it was like, how all these financial guys just take advantage of rookies and all that stuff and steal their money. But I'm like, you now want to do that with 18-year-old kids running the money, but who knows? I mean, it could be really cool at the same time. Yeah, and, and certain platforms and technologies are going to have some 
protections in place. Yeah. So those types of uh, misman that type of mismanagement or or people taking advantage of the student athletes. So people are starting to they're they're learning from what's happened in the past and, mm. and making sure that they're leveraging technology to to uh, I guess have these protections in place. It's man, there's just so many interesting aspects of it. And I think and, and the timing of it is really interesting too, because this happened on the tail end. Jeez. This happened on the uh, on the tail end of a lot of that was it it was like actual hearing with a lot of the basketball coaches and all the the taps, the, like the phone taps and the payments and all that kind of stuff. And this kind of all the NIL stuff kind of seemed to happen after that. So now it seems like maybe this is going to help prevent some of that kind of shady activity in the future because it kind of seemed like that was happening everywhere. And I think that maybe a lot of people think it kind of is happening everywhere. And so this is going to help kind of take away maybe some of the shadiness. Do you think that's accurate to some degree? I think at every level in everything that we do, there's going to be people that are trying to take advantage yeah. of, of situations and people. And so I don't think we can ever let down our guards. I think that hopefully with technology and what we've learned, mm -hmm. we can maybe help to cut some of that off yeah. uh, before it happens. But, you know, with more access, there's more opportunity for people to take advantage. So you just have to be aware. You have to educate people and you have to have some awareness about what is going on. And, you know, you got to use your instincts as much as you can and, and just know that there are predators out there that, yeah. that want to do that and, and, and try to have the right people around you, try to ask the right questions. Mm -hmm. And if it's something you don't feel comfortable with, as a student athlete, don't move forward with it. Right. Uh, use your resources. Which, and, and the resources part of it is really interesting too, because that's one of the things that now versus even five or six years ago, just the platforms that the athletes have is insane when it comes to like social media stuff. I mean, guys that are coming in as freshmen could have an Instagram account of 100, 200,000 plus followers. And like they've built up essentially this entire brand on their own. And so it's really like, is this going to fit sort of this brand that I built? It's all become very like player centric or athlete centric stuff in the last handful of years with that social media thing. So like they've essentially kind of got their own resources to some degree. And so I think that also might help some of like the, the taking advantage of stuff of kids who just don't know better, maybe kind of not happen as much because like, well, I can just like, you know, be an affiliate for something on my 500,000 Instagram follower audience and make more than this anyways. You know what I mean? Yeah, they, they become, they're becoming more savvy and that's a good thing. I think uh, for someone that is looking to take advantage, they that's an awareness that they have that yeah. who they may be looking to target is it has more knowledge and is more savvy. Uh, and I'm, I'm you always want to hope that people have the best intentions at mind, but sure. you the the reality is that that there are some people that don't and you have to protect yourself it's uh it'll be interesting cuz i mean it's still very new like i mean we're st we're still within the first couple years of this thing so like the next really kind of 2 to 3 4 years i think will will maybe and maybe you can speak to this too like we'll tell a lot about how it's 
potentially going to end up shaping itself out with how quickly, like even the technology thing, like you had said, how quickly some of this stuff is already happening. And the next couple of years are going to be, I mean, they're just going to explode with stuff like this uh, because the opportunity is like the wild West right now. Cause now it's all like, right. it's all legal, you know, and they can do it. And so it's like, there's so much opportunity. So it'll be really interesting with the next couple of years from a technology standpoint too, like all the stuff that comes out in that amount of time. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them and using their service, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. I was hesitant about having to get a new phone and a new phone number, but with Mint, you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone and your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or for a family, and at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and to get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com/waypoint. That is mintmobile.com/waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Yeah, there's a lot of opportunities. I, I look at even myself, um, I have a professional role, I have a job, but I also have a business. And when I'm having conversations at work, like there's sometimes there's crossovers. You know, if I'm someone calls and, and they want to schedule a meeting and then I learn something, like, wow, that person would be a great guest on my podcast. Mm -hmm. And so how do you keep those things? So even for me, I don't really have any examples, no, any role sure. models, because people having podcasts, that was usually reserved for the media relations people. You know, having a microphone right. and headphones, that wasn't something that uh, the, the employee, an employee would have access to. So for me, and maybe maybe for some of the people that I uh, that I work with, this is a little bit interesting. Mm -hmm. How this is all happening? Um, you know, is it is it self promotion or is it just engagement? Because in the conversation, this conversation, even that I've had with you, there's been things that I'm picking up from you and and putting pieces to the puzzle together. So, mm -hmm. what's What's supposed to be separate? And I think as our student athletes are trying to figure that out, we also have to be trying to figure that out as the leaders in sport. And, and But how does it work together? Yeah. And, and we, I think we, we just have to be adaptable. We have to be willing to learn. Uh, and we, we have to be willing to try and, and, and experiment with things, knowing that we're not going to get it perfect. No one's perfect. But, but how can we... Uh, help one another to, to figure this thing out what, that we're doing. Yeah, and because it's such a crucial 
point in time of it now where you everybody needs to try and set this up in a way where it's not going to just be this massively terrible thing that like we look back on and be like, man, we really shouldn't have done that. Like you want to build it up in a way where it's like, this was actually beneficial for everybody to some degree or like as many people as we can and it end up being a net positive thing. And so that's why these first couple of years be like really important yeah. how we set that up. Yeah, I think the the idea of amateurism was good initially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to keep uh, collegiate sports, high school sports separate from professional sports. You know, then we have our tax codes and IRS and things like that in place that, that we have to be aware of. But I look back when I was a college athlete and you could say, was I paid? Well, if you're on scholarship and you receive a check and you're supposed to use that check for your apartment and buying food, that process is the same process of someone having a job. Right. You you go to do something, someone compensates you. Um, back then you got a check, then it moved to direct deposit, but there's money in your account and you have responsibilities that you have to manage. That that's that's the that's kind of how this work life you know, cycle works in in terms of us providing for ourselves and family. Mm -hmm. So now that there is Austin money, NIL money, um, we also have cost of attendance money on top of scholarship money. Um, There's loan. So as, as as, as this money is coming in and it's going into an account, you still have responsibilities. Yeah. So it, it's just, you know, is it a job? Our athletes, should, we don't want to consider them to be employees, but we should be probably talking about something that's probably more important than that, and that is preparing them for life. So how do we prepare them for life? Uh, they, they do, in my opinion, they should be compensated for their contributions. But we also have to look at the total picture. Yeah. Like if your school's being paid for tuition, and my oldest daughter, she's she's a freshman in college. And we're looking at, you know, uh, out of state. Yep. We're looking at books. We're looking at so we're looking at um, tuition and, and room and board. Well, those are the things that you have to you, you have to uh, encounter when you're talking about um, going to college, and and I guess my point is we should focus more on preparing them for life. Yeah. And I get that they're not professionals, but they still have responsibilities. They still have to uh, have transportation. They yeah. still have to have a place to. To, to sleep. They still have to eat. They still have to buy clothes. So whether we consider it's us paying them as an employee, that's to me, that to me is secondary as teaching them how to uh, operate in life. Absolutely. The I'm, I'm curious too, if you think that from an, like you mentioned, the idea of amateurism, right? And 
do you think that that's going to kind of change in the future as it relates to the connection of these athletes to an institution of a school, like versus it kind of it you know this whatever if it actually is practical or not seems like it could potentially open the door to a lot of these uh, sports becoming like essentially minor leagues in it to a degree, you know like do you think that that could be I mean we're these guys are coming to school like at the you know the high D one levels you know, they're coming to school because they know they're going to go to the next level kind of a thing. It's, and the school is just where it happens to be that they have to go. Like, do you think that that could cause some sort of rift between the two sort of entities? Mm, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, once again, our job is to prepare them for life. So if you do have professional opportunities, why should this opportunity be that much different than what it takes to prepare you for what's next? Like, yeah. So I, I like I, I don't think that it should be that much different. You know, with the transfer portal, like honestly, that's not that much different than free agency. Now people right. want to protect athletes from that, but we have athletes on taking online classes. They they show up to college with college credit. How many athletes now are competing with a degree in hand already? Yeah. So what's the purpose of right. of college? Uh, if it's not to make sure you get a good education, you have some skills, some knowledge, and, and some experiences to, for life. So if we're not looking at it like that, then then I think we're just saying uh, we don't want to prepare them for life. Like to me, those are the only options. Either either we're going to look at what it takes. And, and then prepare them for that, or we're going to hold on to something that was old and antiquated that's out of date. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And that's going to affect, to, I mean, obviously it's going to affect like a recruiting standpoint, right? Because I mean, the, the kids that are coming in are going to see like these guys understand the lay of the land right now. They're going to help me like if it's a, you know, maybe it's building a brand on top of me competing in a sport, like they're going to help me facilitate this. So I understand what to do. That's going to be a major factor in me deciding to, to go to Kentucky, right. You know, or, you know, to go to Louisville or whatever it is. And so it, having that, you know, it's, it's understanding, even if there's portions of it that we'd like to change, it's like we're understanding that this it is what it is. So we better utilize it to our best ability and make sure it's doing something for good rather than driving people away or like now we just look like the old dudes who don't want to do anything, <laughs> you know, don't want to yeah. change anything or whatever. Right. And I know some people that are out there, they're on the, they're on the front edge of this. They're, they're no longer really looking at a recruiting trip as you come here and you play a sport. It's more of a business interaction. Mm. So you're you're discussing, they are discussing what the NIL package will be on the recruiting trip. Crazy. Because that is what's happening. That's where yeah. we are. Um, what are you, what academics, okay, that's good. Resources and facilities, that's good. Coaches and player development, that's good. Um, future preparation yeah. as a professional. Okay, NIL falls under that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the resources that are here so that uh, my son or daughter can come to uh, this place and and uh, flourish? 
Like, what resources do you have in place? These are conversations that are happening. And for those that are not, that have not been preparing for that, parents are educated now as well. Uh, it used to be when I went on a recruiting trip, you rarely saw a parent. Now yep. <laughs> you see families accompanying uh, um, and, and um, you know, people have questions. Okay, we are back. Had a bit of a break there for a technical reason, but it's all good now. <laughs> so uh, that was a good time to break too, because what I, what I wanted to talk to you about next was your stuff that you have sort of separate, like that's your own thing. You got the podcast, you have your own uh, business on that side. So I'm, I'm curious to know about that. How did that come about? Where is all of that? What are you doing with all of that? Yeah, that, thank you for that. I had a project that I was working on with two other colleagues, uh, Dr. Rick McGuire and Dr. Amber Selking. We were working on this project called uh, Building a Mental, a Culture of Mental Toughness. So it was a, it was a video, audio, and both of them had a website. They had a platform to promote the product. And then when it was my turn to share how I was going to promote the product, I didn't have it. Didn't have a website. My social media was there, but it wasn't set up for that. And at that point, I realized, okay, I am holding us back because mm. of my lack of um, preparation and preparedness for for to be able to do this. Like if I'm going yeah. to um, be a part of projects and then that those projects are to help other people and I don't have mm -hmm. the platform to, for other people to come to or for me to launch anything from what am I doing? So that is when I started looking at, okay, how do I start my website? So pativy.com, how do I start that? Um, you gotta look at the LLC and take care of all mm -hmm. the banking information. So there's there's some, a lot of steps along the way and I thought I needed some help so I, I um, enlisted the help of one of my uh, former assistants. And uh, she mentioned, you know, maybe you want to put together a podcast. And I, initially I was against it. I was like, I don't want to do that. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm typically a real, a really, I'm a private person, a um, little mm -hmm. bit introverted. And I usually like to, when, when I'm away from work, that's my time. And, you know, I right. like to use that to recharge. But I knew that, one day I was not going to be coaching and I would still want to be connected and I still wanted to um, have have some influence in the profession. And for me, that was the best way to to, to think about um, how do I do that? And that was, yeah. um, you know, the website, the social media platforms. Um, and it, it's, it has grown, obviously, um, you know, becoming an affiliate. I'm now at the point of offering affiliations to other people to uh, promote different products that, that I have available awesome. on my website. Um, so it, it's, it's fun. It doesn't take time away from what I'm doing. It, it, yeah. it's, it energizes me and it's a way for me to stay connected and to continue to give back. How has the so has your mind changed on the idea of the podcast at this point? Like, is it is it something that you you know enjoy? Because I I find the same thing too. Like, I I'm a little bit opposite where I just enjoy like having these kind of conversations. So it kind of came natural to me a little bit. But at the same time, it's I can see how 
somebody who isn't that inclined can be like, this would be terrible. I don't, you know, I don't want to do, <laughs> I don't want to do this right. at all. And so has your, has your tone kind of changed on it since beginning it? Yes, because I've realized what it is. It's an opportunity for conversations and, and having discussions. Yeah. It's an opportunity to continue to learn. It's an opportunity to continue to share, uh, to connect with people. And those mm-hmm. are things that I enjoyed. I just didn't think being in front of the camera and hitting record. And I, I just didn't think that part would be something that I really wanted to do. And, and you have to realize, you know, if that's not what I want to do, there are people out there that do want to do those things and, yeah. and they that is what they're good at. And so you just have to make sure those people are on your team and and yep. and, and then it can flow. That's funny you mentioned that too, because when I started this, I did the, it we're, I mean, a little over a year now into this thing. And uh, when I started it, my first episode, I did all the editing and all that kind of stuff myself. Super basic, right? Yeah. And I post the thing and a good buddy of mine who is uh, a sound editor, he does like stuff, sound editing for films and sound design for films. He listens to it and he's like, dude, do you want me to produce the podcast? And he's like, <laughs> and so like instantly I'm like, did it sound that bad, huh? And he's like, I can make it sound a lot better. And so we worked out a little deal where it's like, I just Dropbox him the stuff and he's like, yep. I'll, he can do it in an eighth of the time that it would have taken <laughs> me. And I'm like, please take it from me, like make it sound good and just send it back and I'll post it. And so it's like, that's, that's part of a lot. I mean, so much of this stuff is trying not to, there's some stuff you should learn how to do on your own, but understanding at the next level of it too, is like, I'm better off finding people that are better than me at these things, you know, to, to, to put around me and make it better than me just trying to be stubborn and think, Oh no, I can do this all myself kind of thing. You know, you don't want to relinquish control at all. I'll be like, no dude, please take it. That's going to save me five hours a week. Absolutely. And, and for me, we started off, um, just producing it ourselves. We had another um, person that we were con- a company we were contracted with, and then through relationships and, and um, burden those guys over at Sornex. Shout out to them. Um, they, mm-hmm. uh, I see you wearing the shirt, so I, I figured we could I say am wearing shout the out. outdoors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shout out to those guys over there. Um, I, I think that uh, when we had these conversations, they were trying to build their platform. Uh, be legendary. And and we had some conversations. I would have to give up maybe a little bit of control if I wanted more help, um, more assistance. And so that ultimately, you you should be aligning with people that you trust and and you have the same values and vision and and some great things can happen from from that. And that's what we've been able to do. Um, So really, I I get a chance to, to do the part that I'm best at and that is having yeah. those conversations. And then the people that are good at other things, they get to uh, do their part. So I'm right there with you. Well, and that's just part of, you know, that's part of leadership in general, right? Is learning how to find the best people for whatever task it is. And, you know, uh, I mean, you're doing this thing on your own where from a business standpoint, it's kind of your thing, right? And this, all this stuff that I do with my coaching, the podcast, it's all my deal still too. So I can see how like, especially when you consider it like your baby, you know, it's like, you don't want to, it's like, no, this is, I got to do this very certain way. And that's, that's just a stage of development that has to happen where you're like, I'm better off if this person 
I let them do their thing and they're really good at this thing. And that's going to make everything better and make my life easier. It's going to make the end result better. But that I, I mean, you see it all the time. It's just like, there's guys that, that need to have that. They, they feel anyways, that they need to have that, their hand in every piece of everything. And it will eventually kind of, you'll hit a roadblock or a wall of development if, if that's where you go. So I'm like, as soon as he had messaged me and be like, dude, do you want me to do this? I'm like, absolutely. Please take it away from me. (laughs) Like, I don't want to spend my time doing this. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So let me ask you a question. Um, How do you, how do you bridge between um, the outdoors and, and indoors and training and podcasting and yeah, what's in it? what, What motivates you? What drives you? So the outdoors portion of it is really interesting because, I mean, I I'm, I'm fr- I live in Idaho. I'm from Idaho. So, I mean, it's really kind of just one big outdoor park, you know, like the whole state, right? And so, I mean, fishing and, and doing all kinds of, you know, stuff on the lake, outdoor stuff my whole life. But the hunting portion of it was never a part of it until after I graduated college. And, uh, not for any reason other than I was always doing a thousand sports and I just chose to do those instead. You know, I, all my friends did all that kind of stuff, but doing stuff outside is, you know, I'm, my dad's in farm world. So I'm like working outside, I'm doing all that kind of stuff my whole life. Right. And, uh, what I realized going kind of back to the, that Teddy Roosevelt quote from, I mentioned before, it was just, I always found outdoors. I always just felt so much better like being outside and, and when I came back from being outside or outdoors in nature, I'm just like, I'm just a, such a better person right now than I would be if I'm cooped up inside all the time. And so, so much of it became, what could I do that would allow me to do that as much as possible? And without like, cause I've got, you know, a wife, I got a son, I got a daughter on the way in this summer. And so I'm like, without pulling me away from them all the time, like, do you got to find that balance? You know, that's the whole, the whole thing is like, how do I find this balance between the things uh, that I want to do professionally, family, things that I enjoy hobby wise, all this kind of stuff. And so my training kind of took shape after that. And so I'm like, if I want to be good in the mountains that I'm hunting, or if I just want to go for a lot of hikes in the summer and, and do this kind of stuff, my training follows that. And I'm like, well, what are the things I need to do to do that? I need to get really good at being on my feet for a long time. I need to get really good at dealing with crappy weather and cold. And so like seven or eight years ago, I started doing tons of like breath work and cold exposure stuff, like kind of right when Wim Hof was exploding in the world, you know? And so I started doing a lot of that stuff. And then as it relates to the, and so my, so then with my own training, my coaching became influenced by my own training. Like this is the stuff I enjoy doing. This is the stuff I found that's working for me. So I started coaching more on that, right? And then the podcast is like, well, now I talk to people from both those worlds. It's like, what are you guys doing in the performance world that could help me over here in the hunting world? And then what am I learning with the guys that are in the hunting and outdoors world that can influence how I'm training? And so it's like, it really, after a while, just became this whole like circular thing where they're all feeding into each other and it's, all kind of just the same idea. It's, I enjoy being outside. I enjoy doing all those things. I enjoy training. So like, let's make them suit one another. So I'm not like pushing against myself on all this stuff. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I I think the way you articulated that 
and the way you're trying to find how these things can work uh, with one another, I think that's what a lot of people mm-hmm. are searching for. And I think the ones that I hear that are maybe close to burnout or frustrated is they they have things that they like doing, but they don't spend maybe enough time trying to understand how they can integrate yeah. those things and, and, and make them all work. Um, for me, it's, it's, it's something that uh, I, I enjoy trying to figure out how to make my outdoors uh, hobbies and activities integrate with uh, what it is that I do on a daily yeah. basis and working. So performance is something that I can, I can kind of get behind um, m- mental conditioning, yeah. mind state. Well, if you're out there and you're in the woods, can you, are there things you can pick up? Are there things you can accomplish while you are there? Um, so sometimes I, I will, uh, I don't mind returning some emails, text messages, you know, maybe when I first get out there and I, I get in the, um, a stand, mm-hmm. I don't mind for, for five or 10 minutes, you know, cranking on some, some emails, yeah. text messages. I don't mind. Um, and then I'll go ahead and put my phone away because, you know, maybe, maybe I needed that time to return those right. text messages yeah. and emails. Um, it's the only five minutes of quiet you have can, for, <laughs> you know, yes, yeah, totally. Yes. And, and so, yeah. And, and, um, and then when it comes to training, I've adapted, um, even what I've done in the last four months, I've now switched to, uh, training early mm. in the morning because of some circumstances at work and on the job, it, it's, um, became a little bit more unpredictable. So the part of my day that I could control and predict was yeah. early in the morning. So why not uh, adapt, switch, and, um, you know, w- would I prefer to be able to work out in the afternoons and evenings? Yes, I would, but I probably would lose half of my yeah. my training if that yeah. happens from an energy standpoint, just time standpoint, just gone. And I think if we all, if we can continue to learn from each other and say, okay, here are the things that are important to me. Here are the things that I like doing. How can I find a way to, um, because sometimes you want to be good at some right. of those things. Exactly. <laughs> All right. And sometimes you have to be yes. good at some of those things that, that you want to do. Because if you don't, I mean, it might be yeah. safety. Especially uh, when you're talking about like being up in the mountains or something. Like if you're several miles back, like, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, Bert right. told me when I talked to him on the podcast, he, you know, and he said it several times, but he's like, mountains don't care. Like, the, you know, the, uh, who you are or like what your skill of is like, they'll, they'll literally eat you alive if you're not ready for it. And so, you know, you always got to have like that in the back of your mind. Like, am I even competent enough to be back here? You know, like you can't just go, I've never been up hunting before. I'm just going to drive and I'm just going to hike back as four miles. And then like, we'll see what happens. I'm like, dude, like that is, that is a recipe for disaster. Right. Right. And, and that goes along with training for sport, yeah. training athletes, you want to have them prepared for those situations. Yes. Um, like I said, whether it's in competition, if it's in life, like we talked about earlier in this podcast, you want to have them prepared for possibilities. So I, I think that's something uh, that there's there's some themes here, and I think those are um, things that we find important. So to to sum up that conversation because we had another little glitchy moment the yep. the preparation part of it is yeah it's similar no matter what domain 
we're in. If it's outdoors versus sport performance versus whatever else, the way that you approach it mentally is similar regardless of what the actual pursuit or activity is, which is why I think like, as far as the outdoor stuff is concerned, that's what maybe is another reason it's so attractive to me because once you get done, especially for me, like once you get out of competing at, especially, you know, at a collegiate level, like I was for a little while, you still need something like that. Like I do anyways. And so I like have something to push myself for, uh, that will, I can work for a result that like, you know, if I'm going up in the mountains, I'm going to come out with something like that's my game day. Right. So like training becomes sort of built around that and the way that I prepare mentally and your same thing with gear, like we're talking about, you know, shoes and training equipment and all this stuff. What's the same thing with hunting? Like you got packs and clothes and weapons and all this kind of stuff. So it it was just a kind of a way to shift a little bit that energy from athletics and put it into something that was very similar, like from that standpoint of it. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I completely agree, like from the preparation standpoint. Absolutely, and, and because it impacts your performance. Um, you know, I'll, I'll leave you with this one quote that my athletes have told me has been impactful to them. And I would, and I didn't learn it until later in my, my coaching career, as, is to be prepared in advance to have the greatest day of your life while you're prepared in advance to possibly hear some of the worst news you've ever heard. Mm. So simultaneously, you're preparing in advance for both outcomes and scenarios. Right. And, and that's, that's how you de- become an emotionally and physically resilient person. It's pre- preparation. It's, it's the, the time you put in before you actually need it. Yes. And, and as you learn who you are and how you want to go about um, executing what it is that you're working on, you know, and I've had so many examples of, of athletes that have said, Coach, you know how I was able to get through that? I was prepared in advance to have the best day of my life while I was prepared in advance to have a, 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 um, something come into my life uh, that, that was devastating. I was prepared in advance. Yeah. And, and I think if we, can, if we can do that, we can create uh, uh, more resiliency and, um, and and I think being more resilient is something we all want to do because yeah. really that's how we define what our strengths are. Absolutely. That is a very good place to wrap it up, man. So uh, where all the stuff that you're doing with, with your podcast, like give me all those links so everybody can go listen and, and see what everything you're doing is. Yeah, we made it really easy. It's just Pat Ivy, P-A-T-I-V-E-Y.com. Everything's there. I've got a book there called The Table. I've got a mental conditioning course on there. It's all on the shop tab. I've got T-shirts like the one that I'm wearing now. Uh, Those are available as well. So um, things that I do just to help people stay motivated and educated um, and and connected, those are that you can go to my website. And I've got my social media on there as well. Awesome. Well, thank you again, man, for uh, making the time. It was, I had a blast talking to you today. And uh, next year at Winter Strong, if we're on the same team, we're going to take that thing. So <laughs> I'll be ready. Yes. I will, I, you know, that's, yeah, I'll be ready. That's, that's every year I try to get a little better. Awesome. Well, thanks again, man. I appreciate you. Okay. Take care. 